a U.S.-based group tied to both China and White House climate goals. A Chinese bio firm buying 400 acres of land in Florida, but its leadership holds links to the Chinese military. A surprise encounter between a U.S. ship and several Chinese and Russian naval vessels. That's off Alaska's coast. A NASA researcher pleading guilty to hiding connections to Beijing. His studies useful for boosting military development. And protests breaking out in China. Residents in one city say they've had enough of lockdowns and are speaking out. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As the Biden administration pursues its climate change agenda, reports are surfacing that a major and influential group involved with the effort has ties to China. Its office in China is registered under the Beijing Municipal Public Security Bureau. Here's more. The Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, is based in New York City, but it has worked on climate issues in China since the mid 1990s. Several of its top officials have worked for the Chinese Communist Party or its institutions, while also maintaining close work relationships with officials in the Biden administration. According to internal State Department emails, the China-linked group regularly communicates with John Kerry's office on policy issues. John Kerry is the special presidential envoy for climate. On its website, the NRDC highlights its collaboration with quote a wide range of Chinese and international partners to boost green policies and strengthen environmental regulations. But the group doesn't mention China's poor climate record. The country accounts for about 27 percent of total global greenhouse gas emissions, nearly tripling the total from the U.S. The NRDC website says it has international business spanning Canada, India, China, and Latin America, but Beijing is the only place outside the U.S. where the organization has an office. This office is registered under the Public Security Bureau of the City of Beijing. Its business is supervised by China's National Forestry and Grassland Administration. Amanda Maxwell, the managing director of the NRDC's international program, told Fox News Digital that the organization has never received any funding from the Chinese regime, neither directly nor from linked organizations. As a nonprofit organization, the NRDC cannot be asked to publicly disclose its donor information. Maxwell added that the NRDC follows the law everywhere in the world, including in China. Worth noting, some managers had worked for the Chinese Communist Party before joining the group. The senior program director for climate and energy program previously focused on green development research for China's Belt and Road Initiative. The program is widely seen as a tool used to expand Beijing's influence around the world. Another director in the same field worked for a major state-owned power generation company in China. The same is true for a senior advisor. A Chinese bio research company just made a major purchase of 1,400 acres of land in Florida, bought for over five million dollars. The company is called Join Laboratories. It plans to build a facility on the land in Florida's Levee County, where it will breed and quarantine primates. Though it can't break ground just yet, Join is trying to rezone the property. Currently, the area only has the green light for forestry and rural residential purposes, not for research laboratories. Taking a closer look at the Chinese company, its leadership is known to have ties to the Chinese military. The CEO Feng Yuxia is a green card holder. She graduated from a Chinese military medical research institute. Feng also worked for an organization affiliated with the Chinese military in the 1990s. 
The company manager, Zuo Tongling, graduated from the same Chinese military medical research institute. Zooming out to the big picture, both the U.S. and China are trying to speed up their biotechnology development. Just this month, President Biden signed an executive order pledging to spend $2 billion to boost the U.S. biotech industry. China has also been investing and expanding its biomanufacturing capacity. In terms of production facilities and capacity, China comes in third globally after the U.S. and EU. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill say that the Chinese ambassador to the U.S. has been approaching them. The ambassador's goal appears to be to deflect the Chinese regime's responsibility for the flow of illicit fentanyl into the U.S. One of the lawmakers he approached was Congressman Brad Winstrup, a member of the House Intelligence Committee. Here's what the congressman told NTD reporters in Washington. I recently met with the Chinese ambassador. He reached out, and one of the things he was concerned about is them getting blamed for the fentanyl scourge in the United States of America. And he said, we're just selling legal products. And I said, yeah, but those legal products combined are making fentanyl, and you're doing nothing to make sure they don't fall into the wrong hands. And I said, I'd be glad to work with you on that. And we'll see if he follows up. The majority of fentanyl and related substances trafficked into the U.S. are originally sourced from China. While the Chinese regime in 2018 pledged to crack down on fentanyl production, experts say little has been done since then. And in August, China stopped cooperating with the U.S. to counter narcotics in retaliation to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. In their recent plan, House Republicans promised to implement strict oversight into China's role in the drug crisis. That is, if they win the House this November. For the first time ever, drug overdose deaths in the U.S. topped 100,000 last year. The trend marks a rapid increase from years prior, coming in at 15 percent higher than 2020. An encounter with Chinese and Russian warships in the waters near Alaska. A U.S. Coast Guard ship spotted the foreign ships while on a routine patrol. Six total vessels were seen, two Chinese and four Russian. The U.S. said the ships were operating within America's Exclusive Economic Zone, or EEZ. That zone covers an area of ocean extending over 200 miles from a country's territorial sea, and the nation has jurisdiction over the natural resources in that area. The warships were in a group formation, but later dispersed. The U.S. said it would continue to monitor the area to ensure the safety of U.S. vessels. The naval encounter comes a month after a warning from the head of NATO. Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg warned about China and Russia's growing footprint in the Arctic. He said Russia established a new Arctic command and opened hundreds of Arctic military sites, including deepwater ports and airfields. Beijing is also eyeing the Arctic. It plans to build the world's largest icebreaker. Stoltenberg said Beijing and Moscow have both pledged to intensify cooperation in the Arctic. He added that the partnership challenges the West's values and interests. But China isn't just boosting its presence in the north. It's also turning its attention to the south, both with warships and fishing activities. 80% of the fishing in the waters of the west coast of Latin America is pinned on a single Asian country, China. And it's not limited to international waters. China's activity there also bleeds into the territorial waters and exclusive economic zones of some South American countries. 
According to a report by Interpress Service, over 600 Chinese vessels have entered Peruvian and Ecuadorian waters so far this year. China has been called the world's factory, but now the country is losing business to India. A number of top manufacturers are shifting production out of China, with Apple among them. Let's take a look. Apple is going to start making its latest iPhones in India. The tech giant said Monday that it would begin making the iPhone 14 in the country. Analysts at JP Morgan expect about 5% of the handsets to be made there from late this year. But they say that could rise to one in four iPhones by 2025. Apple has been moving some production away from China amid mounting tensions between Washington and Beijing. Strict health crisis lockdowns also hit output there. Apple has been investing significantly in India since 2017, when it first started making iPhones there. That process was hampered by the health crisis. But with restrictions easing, it and other firms are now pouring in again. For now, analysts expect Apple to rely heavily on Taiwanese firms like Honhai and Pegatron for parts. But they expect the firm to qualify Indian suppliers over time. Apple launched its flagship iPhone 14 earlier this month. The new model is a relatively modest upgrade of earlier versions. Still, Apple isn't completely leaving China. In 2021, China touted the production of close to 96% of global iPhone shipments. That number is expected to drop slightly. But it's significant that the new flagship iPhone 14 will be made in India. In the past, India was only given older iPhones to manufacture. A NASA researcher pleaded guilty to lying about his connections to China. He's part of China's talent recruitment program, which has been known to lear scientists from abroad to work for the Chinese regime. His research could be used for military purposes. Zhen Dongchen is a Texas A&M professor and NASA researcher. He pleaded guilty last week during a federal court hearing in Houston. The FBI says Chen deceived NASA officials about his association with Chinese-owned companies and universities while he accepted U.S. government funding. Texas A&M University released a statement Friday saying Chen was accused of hiding his connections to a so-called talent program of the Chinese government that sought to take research from American institutions and use it to advance military and other programs in China. His research focused on subjects including liquid crystals, which can be used in equipment for military purposes. Several articles on the university website show Chen is involved in this research. Chen was first arrested in 2020. He agreed to pay over $80,000 in restitution to NASA and a fine of $20,000. And in another similar case, a former Chicago graduate student was convicted Monday of illegally spying for Beijing. Based on evidence presented during a two-week trial, Ji Chao Chun worked at the direction of high-level intelligence officers from China's Ministry of State Security. Ji was tasked with providing information on scientists and engineers with knowledge of U.S. aerospace and satellite technologies. Ji's case was part of a larger national security investigation. 
That probe led to the unprecedented extradition of a senior intelligence officer. He was convicted last November of trying to steal trade secrets from a U.S. military contractor. Ji has been in custody for four years since his arrest. He could face a sentence of up to 15 years in prison. Residents of Chinese manufacturing hub Shenzhen say they've had enough of repeated COVID-19 lockdowns. More and more are standing up to protest. Authorities suspended a subway route on Monday after new virus cases emerged in the city. Arts restrictions soon followed. Shenzhen's pandemic control office has labeled some areas of the city as medium or high risk of infection. All residents living in high-risk areas are confined to their homes. The night that was announced, groups of residents took to the streets to protest. One resident shouted through a loudspeaker, the Communist Party talks nonsense and does not keep its promises. Authorities dispatched police to the scene, but the crowd eventually broke through the barricades circling the area. In videos of the incident, locals can be heard shouting about police violence. In the end, authorities sent a special weapons and tactics police unit to disperse the crowd. There's more happening in Shenzhen, too. Residents have also been spotted breaking through barriers and fences to flee quarantined areas. One resident says people can no longer survive under the harsh restrictions. To protect his identity, we distorted his voice. Now a new round of COVID-19 testing is coming. We have to take the test every day. Some residential compounds are under lockdown. There are some new cases from that area near the market, but they need to live. You do this every day and people cannot even survive. The market he refers to is China's largest shopping outlet for electronics. But for now, it's closed. A video captured over the weekend shows a woman running down the street shouting, excessive pandemic control, give me back my freedom. But she was later silenced by local pandemic control workers. Protests are also breaking out in other areas. In the northwestern city of Urumqi, videos posted to social media show crowds shouting, remove the lockdown. Also in Urumqi, a man was seen kneeling in front of workers in hazmat suits, saying he can't make a living. In another incident, a woman filmed a standoff between residents and health workers. She was heard saying ordinary citizens are being pushed to a breaking point. The protests in Urumqi appeared successful. In another video, a man used a loudspeaker to announce that local lockdown mandates would be lifted. Starting tomorrow morning, we'll be allowed to leave our homes in an orderly fashion. That's after disinfecting this district. NTD cannot independently verify the content in these videos. Information about social unrest inside China is difficult to confirm due to the regime's strict censorship. Coming up, a look at what some experts are calling Marxist thinking in American schools. American thought leaders host Yania Kellick sits down with Connor Boyuk to discuss how to empower American kids against Marxist thinking. Boyak recently released a new Tuttle Twin story-based textbook. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Some experts say Marxist thinking is infiltrating American schools. Connor Boyuk is the author of the Tuttle Twins children's books, which have sold over four million copies. He recently released America's History, a new Tuttle Twins story-based textbook. American thought leaders host Yanya Kalik sat down with him to discuss how to empower American kids against Marxist thinking. Here's what he had to say. Any parent who doesn't recognize that they're on a battlefield, that their children are ground zero in this effort, are going to lose. Give our kid a shield and a sword before we send them out into the intellectual battlefield. Give them a foundation of these ideas that when they're listening to their teacher or reading a textbook or looking at TikTok or wherever they're consuming information, they can evaluate those ideas rather than just absorb them like a sponge. What would be an example of, you know, sort of a... A, a dark aspect of American history that you tackle in the book that 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 you try to you know basically give it as it was and sure. not, not yeah I'd say there's two certainly the how the founders dealt with the Native Americans who were here and how colonization impacted uh, some of the natives that's one slavery is the second obviously it's the the easiest um, and and as I mentioned a moment ago with like the 1619 project and others uh, there are people who bring up that part of the past to make us feel horrible to say there should be reparations to talk about white supremacy and capital well, they say that it's the defining yes feature and structure of the America of, of America America, yes. Right? So that that's how they frame it. Again, because they they're doing that, I believe, because they're fundamentally Marxist. The the people who are doing this, what they're doing by saying that is they're wanting to take America in a different direction. Because again, history is all about framing something for a narrative that designs your present and your future. These individuals who are saying things like this, sixteen、uh, nineteen project, many of these people are Marxist. They want to undermine the classical liberal her-、uh, liberal heritage of America. To take us in a more socialist Marxist direction, how best can you do that? It's by trying to cut at the knees the founding fathers and the ideas that they stood for by trying to make people disassociate themselves with Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and others and say, "Oh, icky! They were slave owners. How evil they were!" And by disassociating ourselves from those individuals, we are also disregarding the ideas that they stood for. It becomes a very problematic、uh, situation. Precisely because these people are creating this narrative to take our future in a different direction that that I disagree with. Well, there's、uh, and there's this idea of you know sort of separating society from its cult, the culture in which it was steeped in.、Hmm. That's like the you know every revol- communist revolution or you know basically. Did did this attempted to do it or did it successfully? Yeah, that's what strikes me as you're speaking.、Here. Well, as, as we had to figure this out for the book, how do you talk to kids about these ideas? How do you talk to an eight year old about slavery? How do you talk about the nuance that's needed? Do you just say this was evil and everyone who did it was evil, or do you recognize it for what it was at the time? How do, can we look at someone like Thomas Jefferson, who had a very complicated situation himself with slavery, inherited a lot of slaves, kept a lot of slaves, and yet he himself was ahead of his time because he was privately writing and, and thinking about this moral evil. He called it trying to figure out how to extricate himself and the society of which he was a part from this problem. 
And uh, so he, like many others at the time, grew up in this system. It was their culture. But we can't look at it through a lens of our modern-day educated you know, society and judge them differently. We can call it evil on its face, but we can at least afford them a measure of grace to recognize that when they're brought up in a system like that and when there's all these economic and cultural and religious and other pressures kind of keeping this type of environment, it's very hard for someone to act differently when that's all they've known. And so we, in the book, we bring up slavery to your earlier question tackling this issue, we bring it up, but we approach it in a way to say, let's recognize that these people thought and lived differently from us, and so let's try and look at it through their life and their worldview, rather than just you know, punish them and judge them with our modern sophisticated understanding, because by, by trying to understand them more, then we can learn from them. If we just say, ah, they had slaves, they're all evil, ignorant rubes and white supremacists, we can't learn anything from them. We're alienating ourselves, not only from them as individuals, but from the ideas that they believe that we're good. Um, and so we're trying to have that nuance to say, they made some mistakes, there were some horrible things that happened to be sure, but also there was some good as well, and let's build upon that. So I wanna go back a little bit to what you are talking about to this kind of shifting shifting floor or shifting reality or you know the, the the foundations being shaken which frankly a lot of a lot of people will i think convincingly are arguing as one of the purposes of this sort of emergent woke or neo-mark progressive neo-marxist ideology it is to shake those foundations the, the belief is that these are you know, just fundamentally bad because of some of the things you just described because of colonialism. Is this expressly a challenge to that, that what you're, what you're doing with, with these books? And, and I mean, with this textbook and frankly, the Duddle Twins books, or is it just sort of by, a byproduct? It's, it's absolutely an intentional confrontation to people who believe those ideas. So I believe that we are in a war of ideas. And I believe that any parent who doesn't recognize that they're on a battlefield, that their children are ground zero in this effort, are going to lose. If we don't know that we're in a battle, how can we ever win it? If we don't recognize that there are people out there who are kind of progressive socialist neo-Marxists infiltrating the classroom, pushing their agenda, the media, academia, you know, Hollywood and all the rest. Like, if we don't recognize that this is an intentional effort on the part of people we vehemently disagree with, how are we going to win? We're going to forever be playing defense, trying to mitigate our losses as best we can, but never gaining ground. So for me as a so-called freedom fighter, this is an intentional play to say, I know other people are out there going after our children, whether it's through schools or Hollywood and media or children's books and trying to get parents talking to their kids about totally different ideas, there is an effort out there to change the mindset of the rising generation. This is not a new thing. Collectivists for decades and centuries have recognized that they have to capture the minds and the loyalties of the young. Every authoritarian dictator in world history has tried to infiltrate the classroom. So there's a quote from an evangelical pastor, can we as Christians really be surprised when we send our children to Caesar's schools and they return home as Romans? And, and to me, there's a political uh, corollary to that question, right? Can we as freedom lovers really be surprised when we surrender our children to the state to educate them and then they come home as statists or, you know, uh, social justice warriors or whatever? We can't be surprised, I don't think. And so that speaks to the need for parents to be intentional, eyes wide open about what our kids are learning, and let's have some robust family discussions rather than just accepting whatever we're told is true.
To watch the full episode, please visit Epoch TV and check out American Thought Leaders with Yanni Kellick, or click the link down below if you're watching online. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.